we have come this far by faith leaning on leaning on the lord trusting in his holy word he's never failed he's never failed me yet singing no oh oh, 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 oh can't turn around we've come too far by faith amen praise the lord everybody here we are again together on sunday giving god glory i pray that you are doing good i pray that the word of god you have been just meditating on it i pray that it has turned and changed and blessed your life i really do i pray that not only that but you see a change in in, in your spirit that you see that you're growing in God and you're learning and you're applying the word of God that is coming forth every Sunday. Every time God tells me to say something, I'm going to just open up and talk about whatever it is that God wants you to know and me. So today I am actually doing something a little different. Uh, yeah, it's going to be really different because what I'm doing today is answering questions. There have been some things that people have asked me and wanted to know, you know, can we do this? Can we do that? What does this, what does the Bible say about drinking? What does the Bible say about smoking marijuana? What does the Bible say about this and that and the other? So I thought I would go ahead and tackle a couple of those, well, at least three of those questions. And then after that, if you want to ask me a question or or you like this segment, just let me know. Shoot me an email at cafewithtiffany at gmail.com and I will answer questions at the end of every segment. So uh, go ahead and grab a friend. Make sure that you are listening because I am going to answer a few questions that have uh, that have been asked to me. And I pray that God's word, which I don't have the last say so in any of it, it's going to be all of God's word and what he says about it. Okay. So let's just have a little talk with each other. All right. Number one, can we drink alcohol because Jesus turned water into wine? <laughs> that, has, that has been the question of all time. Can we drink alcohol? I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. So if Jesus turned water into wine, then surely I can take a drink every now and then. What do you say about that? And I must say, the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine is found in John 2, 1 through 11. Some people try to justify the drinking of alcohol by saying that Jesus made alcoholic wine. But was the wine Jesus created alcoholic? Yeah, was it? Was it really alcoholic? Would Jesus Christ create a drink that was alcoholic and that would cause people to get drunk? Because you never know where your drinking level of being drunk is. So would Jesus create that? I want you to 
Think about that for a moment, Woody. When they ran out of wine at the wedding feast at Cana, Jesus had them fill six water pots to the brim, each of which held about 20 gallons. This would take a total of about 120 gallons of water. When it was taken to the master of the wedding feast to taste of it, he was surprised and said, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests have been well drunk, then the inferior, you, you have kept the good wine until now. The good wine in those days was grape juice that had not yet been fermented. Understand, let me say that again. The good wine in those days was grape juice that had not yet been fermented. The Greek word oinos, which is translated wine in the Bible, can be either fermented, turning grape juice into alcohol, or unfermented wine, which was not preserved yet. Jesus did not preserve the wine when he turned the water into wine. He gave them the best unfermented wine, which is the way wine is first created. He did not tell them, wait, let's let this ferment first. No, he gave them unfermented wine, meaning he turned the water into wine and they drunk it right then. It was unfermented. Hello. The Greek word tells you that there is a difference between fermented wine and unfermented wine. We see in Isaiah, if you get a chance, read Isaiah 65, 8. It says, thus says the Lord, as the new wine is found in the cluster of grapes, and one says, do not destroy it. What is the alcoholic content in the new wine in a cluster of grapes? I want you to think about that. What is the alcoholic content in new wine in a cluster of grapes? In new wine, zero. There is no alcohol in a cluster of grapes. Also, God says in Isaiah 16, 10, no treaders would tread out wine in the presses. I have made their shouting cease. Again, we know the alcoholic content of the new wine that is being treaded out in the grape presses is zero. In the dictionary, it defines wine. This is the way the, the dictionary defines wine. It says wine is an alcoholic drink typically made from fermented grape juice. The yeast consumes the sugar in the grapes after sitting and preserving for long hours at a time, and then it converts to ethanol, carbon dioxide, and heat. Jesus says in Matthew 9, 17, nor do they put new wine into old wineskins. Many people have always asked, what in the world does that really mean? Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. That's Matthew chapter 9, verse 17. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. New wine, which is unfermented wine, as we have seen in Isaiah 16, 10 and 65, 8, is not placed into old wineskins because the old wineskins probably have been contaminated with fermentation bacteria, which will ferment the new wine. And if new wine is placed into old wineskins, then the new wine will become fermented and the fermentation can break the wineskins and the wine pour out. 
But Jesus says that you put new wine into new wine skins, which have not been contaminated with the fermentation bacteria. Y'all don't want to get that. Jesus did not create an alcoholic wine. God's word forbids us to give alcoholic wine to someone else. Habakkuk 2.15 says, Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle, even to make him drunk, that you may look on his nakedness. Jesus would have disobeyed God's word as found in Habakkuk and sinned if he had made an alcoholic wine, which was drunk by other people. Because the Bible says, woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor, pressing him to the bottle, even making him drunk, that you may look on him. I, I just don't believe Jesus. If you know Jesus would not have done that. But Hebrews 4.15 says that Jesus was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus never sinned or he could not have died for us. If he sinned, he would have had to die for his own sin. Jesus would not have mocked his own self. So we have to quit trying to find an excuse to take a drink of liquor. If the truth be told, you just want to take a drink. And, and I just gave you truth to that. So what you do with that truth, it's on you. It's on you. The wine Jesus made was not fermented. It was, it was fresh grape juice, which is also referred to as wine. To say that Jesus made 120 gallons of fermented wine is blasphemy. God's word says wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Amen? Amen. All right, the next question that people ask, is there such a thing as common law marriage? In other words, after you have lived with a man or a woman for a certain amount of time, are you considered now husband and wife? There is no such thing as that. This is called having your cake and eating it too. Marriage is a long-term commitment and seen and honored in the eyes of God. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 14, marriage is honorable among all people and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Marriage is held, listen, marriage is held as an honor presence in front of people. There is a special anointing on people who are married. And even if they are not perfect, because none of us are, they are still considered honorable when you see them because they chose to marry in the eyes of God. But shacking up with somebody or living with somebody that is not your husband, that is not your wife, that is plain old fornicating. You are just having sex and continuing to sin. And everybody around you know it. They just ain't saying nothing. It's not beautiful to see, but it is very distasteful. Men, if you love her and would hate to see her with another guy, and you two are already having sex, you're already living together, why not take it to the best level and become honorable and the center of attention and prestigious because God said marriage is honorable. It is something to behold to see a married couple to say we're married. We're, we don't just live together. We're married. We are a tag team. We partners. 
we in this thing. God said he's that is honorable. He loves that. He gives a marriage honor. Don't you want honor? The enemy's trying to just trick you and make you think, oh God, you got to commit to somebody. Lord, I just don't know. One of I wake up and don't want to be with that person no more. No, no, that's the enemy. You already with that person. You already waking up with that person. But the, the, the enemy doesn't want you to be considered an honored couple. And marriage is honorable in the eyes of God, in the sight of God. He looks at a couple that's marriage and he gives them honor. Glory to God. Especially when you already know he's the center of your relationship and you love God. Amen. The Apostle Paul put it like this, plain and simple. The Apostle Paul in the Bible, Paul said, I wish that all were as myself am. But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried woman, to the unmarried man, and to the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. See, this is for all those who think being single is a bad thing. Paul said, I, 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 I wish that they would remain single. And then the Bible goes on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 7 through 9, the Bible goes on to say, but if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn in hell with passion for one another. I'm just going to leave that right here on the table. And you do whatever you know you need to do with that word in the Bible. The next question. Question. Can I smoke marijuana since it's an herb that Jesus made? God made that herb. I think it's okay. It's already medical. It's already legal in a lot of states. Can I smoke marijuana too? Okay. This is not a Christian thing. This is a person thing. You Christian or non-Christian? That is a question that is on a lot of people's mind. So let me just put it like this. And I need for you to do your homework because I'm going to give you abbreviations and you need to look these words up. CBD is one of the most widely studied, I think it's cannab cannabinoids or cannabinoids in marijuana, CBD. CBD is also found in another related plant that we all have begun to hear about everywhere called hemp, H-E-M-P. One major difference, though, between CBD and marijuana that people you and I know smoking on the streets is that the medical CBD, the medical CBD only contains a small trace amount of the THC, which is the kind of marijuana that you smoke or your relatives smoke. Oh, trust me, I know. Everybody has a few of them in the family that smokes marijuana and justifies the reason for smoking it. This compound is best known for the devastating effects that it has already taken place in a person's brain. That THC that you know about, that I know about on the streets, that people have done in their past and doing in their present, that is not the medical marijuana that 
costs money to actually have. Let me tell you what the doctors are saying the risk is for people who smoke marijuana. I'm not talking about medical use marijuana. I'm talking about that marijuana you bought from somebody you know. Here's your here's the risk. Now, if your life is worth this risk, then carry on. But I'm telling you right now, you need to know knowledge is power. And you need the knowledge so you can have power. Marijuana may cause mild hallucinations, poor motor skills, or altered perceptions of reality. For these reasons, certain activities may be unsafe after using marijuana, such as operating heavy machinery, do not drive after using marijuana. This is coming from the medical field. This is coming from doctors. Do not drive after using marijuana. Not only is it unsafe, but it is illegal in every state to drive after using marijuana. Even in states in which marijuana use is legal, it is still illegal to drive after you have used marijuana. That goes to show you that your brain is not at 100 when you use marijuana. I'm sorry to tell you, the only reason you don't know it is because you are already high and you so high, how would you even know? You on cool and calm cloud number nine and you are light as a pepper. You see, the THC acts on specific brain cell receptors that ordinarily react to natural THC-like chemicals. These natural chemicals play a role in your normal brain development, your brain development, and the way it functions. But when you smoke marijuana, it overactivates the parts in your brain that contain the highest number of the receptors. Come on, we can't be dumb all of our life. We need to know this. This causes the high that people feel. They feel that high because the marijuana is overtaking. It overactivates the parts in the brain. So what does the doctors also say that marijuana does? It alters your senses. For example, you just see bright colors. Things just seem brighter to you. It alters your sense of time. You, you, you lose track of time of almost everything. It changes your mood. One minute you're laughing and the next minute you're depressed and you feel like nobody understands you and nobody truly loves you and you, done, you just done lost your mind. I'm, I'm trying to help you. You, you, you done went crazy. <laughs> but, but really, you have difficulty with thinking and problem solving. Everything is hilarious to you or everything just needs to chill. You know, everybody needs to chill when they're around you. Your mind has been altered. Your mind has slowed down again. The doctors also say that you have difficulty in breathing. See, you're messing with, with your lungs. It's just like a person that smokes cigarettes. You are inhaling smoke into your body and calling it good. Wake up from your sleep. You're forgetting all of the time. Again, you will have hallucinations. And this is only taken when it's in high doses. In other words, you're seeing rabbits and bugs and things that's not really there. You Somebody seems like they're overshadowing you. You're just seeing things that's not there. You, you're paranoid. You think everybody is talking about you. You think everybody, when you walk a room... Walk into the room, everybody's looking at you as if everybody else don't have their own life to figure out. 
They don't have their own problems and situation. Everybody got their eyes on you. Really? Listen, somebody needs to hear this. Somebody need to know that they are messing with their life by continuing and their brain and their brain when they continue to smoke marijuana and they do not have the facts about it. God is ready to deliver you. God is ready to set you free from that. You just have to want to be free. Amen. I know this is not like a jumping message and I'm not doing a whole lot of singing, but I just wanted to answer some of those questions that you may have and you just didn't really know the right answer. So I'm going to answer one more question. Is homosexuality really a bad thing? Is it really wrong to be gay? Is it really wrong? I mean, is it really wrong to be a lesbian? I mean, they're like the best friends I know, right? I mean, they make everybody laugh. They make everybody feel good. They just got it going on. Every time you see them, they're dressed. Okay, there's a spirit behind that. First of all, we cannot keep saying, though, that gay people and lesbians are all going to hell. We have to stop saying that because they're not all going to hell. Because a person that is gay or a lesbian can say that they are not doing anything no different than you that's having sex with a man that you're not married to. But this is a subject that no one wants to hit on anymore. But so let's just see what the Bible says about it. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1, verse 22 to 32, do not practice homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman. It, excuse me, that's Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 through 25. I'm sorry about that. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 through 25. It says, do not practice homosexuality, having sex with another man as with a woman. It is a detestable sin. A man must not defile himself by having sex with an animal and a woman must not offer herself to a male animal to have intercourse with it. This is a perverse act. They putting all of this in the same chapter, in the same verses right beside each other. Do y'all see this? Verse 24, do not defile yourselves in any of these ways for the people I am driving out before you have defiled themselves in all these ways. Verse 25, because the entire land has become defiled. They think it's all right to be doing anything. God said, I am punishing the people who live like this. I will cause the land to vomit them out. Well, that's what the Bible says. That's what the Bible says. But also, let's look at Romans chapter 1, the New Testament. Beginning at verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God. But they would not worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Their minds became dark and confused. Oh, my gosh. Say that again. Their minds became dark and confused. Verse 22 they claim to be wise. They do seem like they know everything. They claim to be wise, but they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. 
So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desire. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. Verse 25, they traded the truth about God for a lie. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. And then the apostle Paul says in verse 26, that is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. Verse 27, and the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burn with lust for each other. It is not love. You can say what you want to. That is a strong lust that is on men that are homosexuals. It is a lust. It's a passion of lust. It is like a person that look at pornography and all of a sudden they want a man or a woman to have sex with. It is lust being fulfilled between a man and another man and a woman and another woman. It has never been love. It has always and will always be nothing but burning lust. The Bible says they burned with lust for each other. Great day in the morning. Men did shameful things with other men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered. God called it sin. Did read that for yourself. God said, and as a result of this sin, they suffered with themselves the penalty they deserved. Paul wrote it, but he was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. Verse 28, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never been done. Ooh, that ought to set somebody free right there. Verse 29, their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip talking about everybody they knew everybody's business i mean how many people know somebody that's gay that's a lesbian and they act just like that they gossip about everything they know everybody's business they know everything about every celebrity they know everything about everything they're always into something they are backstabbers verse 30 says they hate god they're insolent they're proud they're boastful they invent new ways of sinning and they disobey their parents they always disobey their parents. Verse 21, they refuse to understand. They don't want to understand. They break their promises. They're heartless and they have no mercy on people. If you do them wrong, you're going to know you did them wrong. They're going to let you know you did them wrong. Mm, 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 mm. Verse 32, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. You better keep your babies away and letting, and stop letting them spend the night with uncle so-and-so and aunt so-and-so. Especially if you know there's this, a tendency of a little homosexuality in them. Because the Bible says they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die. Yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. 
So is homosexuality a sin? Yes, it is. It still is, and it always will be. Are all homosexuality homosexuals are all are all homosexuals going to end up in hell? No, they're not. Because the ones that repent and turn from this evil, turn from their evil way, they will not end up in hell. I just don't think that the devil want me to say this because my words, so I plead the blood of Jesus over this word. This word is setting somebody's somebody free. This word is helping somebody to understand their cousin, their, their, their friend. This word is helping somebody because my words are starting to get agitated, uh, uh, distracted with trying to get them out. I bind that up in the name of Jesus. I'm going to say this word through the grace of God because somebody needs to hear what thus saith the word of God. Verse 32 again says, they know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. No matter what you say, they keep on doing it. Someone may ask, how can they get delivered? That is a very strong spirit. It seems natural to them. It does seem natural to them because God said he would turn them over to have a reprobate mind, which is a mind that thinks they're right. And yet they are completely walking in error. Reprobate means a very lowered characteristic about themselves. And yet they don't know what they boastful about who they are. And yet they are very, very low with their characteristic and their character. You think you know it all is always a person that has a reprobate mind. But God can deliver a person like that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. He's a new person. Old things are passed away and all things will become new. You ought to read about people that used to be a lesbian and got their life together and got married, had children, got delivered. You ought to take the time to read the personal testimony of Donnie McClurkin. I'm going to read some of that to you. This is from Donnie McClurkin, who used to be strongly gay. He was a homosexual. He walked in it and, and he had a, he gave his testimony about what happened. Donnie McClurkin, he was one of 10 children in a poor family from New York. Donnie's mother sang in the church choir and Donnie sang his first solo in church at the age of three. And despite their economic status, the family was full of love. And he talked about how they was happy until June the 6th in 1968. This was the day Donnie's world went from the best of times to the worst of times. Donnie was eight years old at the time, and he was playing with his two-year-old brother in the front yard. And a ball he was playing with went into the street, and he went after of it, of course. And what he didn't realize was that his two-year-old brother followed after him. Now, I'm talking about Donnie McClurkin, the singer. Stan, Donnie McClurkin, what do you do when you've done all you can and Seems like you can't make it through. I'm talking about Donnie McClurkin. Everybody knows him. Always singing with Yolanda Adams. Donnie, we fall down, but we get up. We fall down, but we get up. That Donnie McClurkin was eight years old when he ran after that ball and his two-year-old brother, 
followed after him. And when Donnie picked up the ball and turned around, he saw a car traveling at a very high speed. And the car was heading right toward his little brother, who was now in the road. And his mother was screaming through the window, watching the little toddler, the little boy, bounce under that car that went over him. The funeral was held two days after the accident, and after the funeral, the McClurkin children were sent home with their mother's uncle, with their mom's uncle, while the parents stayed with the other family. But what they didn't know that the, was that the uncle was a pedophile. In the evening, the uncle would rape Donnie and a couple of his sisters. And they were so scared and confused that they wouldn't tell their parents what the, what the uncle had done to them. That's what Donnie said. And looking back at that night, Donnie said in his documentary, he said the seed of perversion was planted through that molestation. It was a thing that made his life a living hell. And at eight years old, I mean, think about it. You can't handle stuff like that. And you're only eight years old. And it sparked something in him at that age that it took him right on into puberty. Things started popping in his little eight-year-old mind that doesn't happen in a normal eight-year-old mind because the Pandora box was open and you can't close it after that. Donnie's mother went into a deep depression. Sometimes she would tell Donnie that he killed the baby. He had to deal with all of that. The family environment just turned violent. Physical violence between the husband and the wife became the norm. The police coming out there seemed like it was normal. His older sisters began using drugs, arguing with their mom. There were other things just coming on Donnie's life, and he just could not take it at that age. He was shy. He didn't have no athletic ability. He felt like he didn't fit in anywhere. This is coming from Donnie's personal testimony. And that following summer of July 1969, Donnie received Jesus as his, as his Lord and Savior. And, and for Donnie, the church became more therapeutic than anything else because it was a place of escape. Yet he was still dealing with homosexuality. And so whenever hell was breaking loose in his home, he said he would go to the church because it didn't fit in with his peers, with his, with his peers. And he threw himself into music and playing the piano. Donnie recalled feeling that when I played the piano, everybody liked me. At age 11, Donnie was able to meet the gospel singer whose, whose music was stirring a new passion in him for gospel. It was Andre Crouch. And he prayed with Donnie and laid hands on him, seeking God's blessings for the young man. And some of you know Andre Crouch. And, and to give Donnie what God had given Andre, that's what he prayed for him. Andre prayed that God would give Donnie what he gave him. And Donnie says that his ears was open in a new way that day so that he was able to pick out notes and music very clear. See, people can lay hands on you that's really for you, that's anointed, and they're good for you. And blessings will come on your life. Not, I mean, evil comes, but you need to connect yourself with people that know God. You need to connect yourself with the good and not always with the evil. So at the age of 13, though, Donnie was molested again. This time, the perpetrator was an older teenager, the son of his uncle, who raped him about five years earlier. God, for years, Donnie would keep these secrets to himself. And this was a time in Donnie's life 
that he was, as he describes it, surrounded by a sea of women. That was all he knew. So Donnie's quest for sexual identity was a sea of confusion. And one woman in the church, now here, here, here we go. One woman that was flat-footed, that didn't care what nobody thought about what she said. One woman in the church took a mentoring interest in the young Donnie and helped him break some of the feminine tendencies that he had acquired. One woman. She taught him how to hold a microphone in a more masculine way and to, and to put some bass in his voice and sing praises to God in a manly way. And see, the men in the church, hear this part, the men in the church, you know, always on Facebook, always playing on video games, always doing everything else, ain't trying to mentor nobody, not trying to be a leader to nobody. He said, this is what Donnie said. Donnie said the men in his church, they didn't step up and feel that need. They didn't come and embrace him and help him become a man and become a leader. No, they talked about him. They laughed when he walked by. They said he was no good. He wasn't going to become nobody. He was just a nobody. He, uh, don't be around him. He, he's, he's unfit. He's shameful. See, that's the way. Well, let me not go there. I, let me stay focused. But see, that's the way. Yeah, okay. That's the way some men are now in the church. Oh, yeah, they dress nice. They know the women are looking at them. They got this thing all together and they have nobody. They have a form of godliness. They look like they in the church. They deacons in the church. They have a form of godliness, but they deny the power that God can deliver a man like Donnie, a, a young man like Donnie. They don't believe that God has the power to set people free. The men in the church, Donnie said, they didn't step up at all. They didn't say nothing to him. They just walked by him. They didn't say nothing. They made sure to not really talk to him. That's the one they supposed to went to. Jesus went to the ones that needed him most. He didn't hang around just his family and just around who he thinks that gives him some type of fulfillment and what they can do for him. No, Jesus went to the Samaritan woman. Jesus went to the drug dealers and the, and the ones that, that own drugs. Jesus went to them. That's who Jesus went to. Jesus went to those that had addictions. Jesus went to those that people left behind and called unfit. Jesus went to them. But who do you go to? Or who do you stay clear of because you too good for them? No, they, they, they don't need to be around them. What kind of, do you feel like you're going to become them when you get around them or something? You gonna say, If you go to the drug, to the smoke, to the club, you, you know, to bring somebody out, what you going to be up in there dancing or something? I need to know why you're not ministering to the hurt, to the ones that need you to be ministered to. What are you doing? in church. This is not a click. We ain't here to just party and have fun in the church. Jesus came. He died on a cross for you who was messed up from the floor up and still is. If the truth be told, we all need Jesus. Donnie said the men didn't come to him. He said, but that woman, my God, says she dared to do what others wouldn't do. And she helped transform his life. He said it took somebody strong in the Lord to have enough to say, I don't care what people say about him. I'm going to take him in. I'm going to help that boy. I'm going to help him. I'm not going to walk by him. I'm not being in this group. My ear will not be your trash today. I'm going to help that boy. He needs Jesus. 
So in high school, Donnie's peers referred to him as the preacher. He's, he had been around that woman so long because he preached to everyone. And he didn't preach like a woman either. He, he preached, he had bass in his voice, and he told them about Jesus and how Jesus was able to deliver and set people free. He organized a gospel group with his sisters and his friends, and he refined the sound that people heard in the church. He got a break when he was selected to sing a solo, and he put such his heart into it with the wine and family, and they brought him on in. And that's how his journey started. It took somebody. It took somebody strong and say, I'm not just going to let him just die. I'm not going to look at him and say, he's grown. He's doing his own thing. She's grown. You know, she shouldn't have been taking them drugs. I'm, you know, she's doing her own thing. You know, I, he, she's gay. He's, he's, a, he's gay. They're doing their own thing. Whatever it is that you know that would send that person to hell. Why are you not praying for them? Why are you not giving them an encouraging word? Don't you understand Donnie's testimony is a blessing and it is an eye opener to all of us. He said it took that woman who was strong in the anointing. See, the anointing destroys the yoke. And if you, have, if you don't have no anointing on your life to be able to set somebody free, you need to go and read your Bible some more. You need to go and seek the Lord. You need to go and look. People ought to be free when they come around you. People ought to get free when they come around you. Hallelujah. Some people don't come around you because they know they're going to get free. You, they in a dark place and you the light, they make it feel like you their enemy. Look, I have a family member right now. Every time I come around, they seem like they get agitated and mad. And I'm really close to this person. But you know what I do every time I see them? I say, I love you. I love you. I want you to know I love you and I hug them. Because I want to give them the love that I know that Jesus wants them to have. I know the enemy is talking to them. I know the enemy is trying to put them down. I know the enemy wants them to take their life. I know the enemy wants to do all of that. But God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Y'all better get that. See, we stop at he's able to do. But the Bible says after the comma, according to the power that worketh in you. That keeps working. Worketh is W-O-R-K-E-T-H. It keeps working in you. See, sometimes you just got to do the, the, the planting of the seed. And somebody else that, that's not as close and as attached as you are, they'll come and water the seed. And God will bring the increase. But you've got to do something. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to save everybody. But if you at least plant the seed, somebody will come and water the seed. And God will bring the increase. Hallelujah. Glory to God. And I know that sometimes your family members are the ones that you're possibly not going to reach as fast. Because they're close to you. I understand that. I understand that. I trust God. But if you just plant the seed and you continue to pray without ceasing, God will send somebody their way to water the seed. 
And it's usually not somebody you think it's going to be. Or you'll think that it's, why ain't this person? They, they, they looking down on the person, but they're not lifting them up. It's usually not that person anyway. God needs somebody that got some power, some anointing on their life. He knows who's dipping and, and dabbing in stuff. And he knows those that are really seeking him. Those are the ones that you want to meet your family members. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. So I pray that this blessed you today. You know, I know that I like to hit things that are real, but I think you want real. I think you're so tired of the lukewarm state of the world that it has become that you say, look, I need somebody to be real with me. I need somebody to tell the truth and will stand flat footed on the word of God and say what? I'm going to stand here. And if God be for me, who can be against me? We serve a mighty God. He did not die on that cross for nothing. He came that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He died on the cross that you can live, but not only you and your group, but he, he died on the cross for you and you and you and them. Them is the ones that you seem like you won't talk to. Them are the ones you need to go and talk to and give a word. My favorite scripture, and I believe you know it by now. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw them unto me. Start lifting up Jesus every time you come around somebody you won't save. Start lifting up the name of Jesus. And if you need more of Jesus, I'm asking you to start reading a, a scripture a day. The same way you would watch a one-hour TV show, a, a two-hour movie, a 30-minute TV show. I'm asking you to spend five minutes of your entire 24 hours and read one chapter a day. The best way to do it is to stand up and read it out loud. If you got to just turn your car off before you go in the house, Pull up the Holy Bible app. I have it on my phone too. Pull up that Holy Bible app and read one chapter. It takes you no more than five minutes out loud. Read it every day. And then after that, say, God, I pray that you would just help me understand your word. I'm telling you the truth. God will turn your life around. Take it from me. He will turn your life around. You will begin to get closer to God by reading his word and meditating on those scriptures that you just read. Amen. Amen. If you have any questions that you want to ask me or any questions that you want me to address, just know that I will definitely go ahead and address them on my podcast. I will not mention your name. So if you want to send me a question that you would like for me to answer, just send it to cafe with Tiffany at gmail.com. Uh, that's C-A-F-E-W-I-T-H-T-I-F-F-A-N-Y at gmail.com. And I will answer those questions. So until next time, everybody be blessed. Have a blessed week. Let God arise and your enemies be scattered. God bless you. Goodbye. Until the next time. I'll see you later.